Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I have a, a mentor that I've uh, had for the last 15 years. And it was time to catch up at the end of this last week. And it's turned more from mentoring into friendship, as these things do. But he prayed a prayer knowing that I was preaching this morning. And he said this. He said, set John on fire when he preaches. And then when he preaches, let them see him burn. And (laughs) kind of broke out in a giggle of of laughter, which I didn't think was, uh, was, was funny. So you might see a glowing ember here on the floor at the end of, uh, of, of this time. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. And, uh, but come, Holy Spirit, but uh, let me be alive at the end of it. <clears throat> I'm going to speak on 2 Kings chapter 2 this morning, 2 Kings chapter 2. I don't know whether we've had any preaching on the call of Elisha. I've not heard a preach on that here. Uh, so we may have missed something out, or I may have been away that Sunday But we're looking now at the handover from Elijah the prophet to Elisha, okay? So this is it, and it's been 10 years where, as I'll mention in the preach, 10 years of Elisha shadowing as his assistant, the the prophet Elijah. So 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, look at the time. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on the way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, do you know the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know it, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho and replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan and replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'll not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the prophets, uh, the company of the prophets, went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the left, and and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit A double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more, and then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. 
<clears throat> and he picked up the cloak that had fallen on Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he cried. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. They went out to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50, uh, uh, have 50 able men. Let them go. Uh, I've, not been, I've been asked not to read these verses, but I am doing. 1617. Okay. <laughs> ooh, naughty, eh? Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let us look, go and look for this master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked them up and set them down on some mountain or some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. And when they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to, to go? Now, what I want to do this morning is, is pray first. Spirit of God, come on us this morning. And we pray, indeed, for your power to fall. That we experience you and that we become changed people from the preaching of your word. Because your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides to the indivisible parts of our being, the book of Hebrews says. So have your way in our lives. We want to hear you this morning and we want to respond accordingly, for your glory. Amen. As I said at the beginning, this passage is about the handover of prophetic ministry from the prophet Elijah to Elisha. I'd love to talk about prophetic ministry. I'm not doing that this morning. But N.T. Wright says, to have had either or both of these guys in your church would have been probably mayhem. Absolute mayhem. Certainly would be interesting to have them around in the church. Um, it's an understatement to say they'd mix things up um, a little bit. And reading the accounts in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, it's like, what, it's like a, an adult comic, kind of, when you listen to some of the accounts and some of the stories of what is taking place. But just to say this, the Old Testament prophets were used by God to, 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 to speak truth, to bring truth to power, and to bring judgments on Israel's kings, but also foreign kings. They speak for God, if you like. And um, it's interesting, actually, when you read in Kings, as we've been doing, because we live in a land that scoffs at the church. We are marginalised. This is, no doubt, it has been for a long time, a post-Christian society. But as the former great preacher, Greg Haslam, former of Westminster Chapel, and he was a New Frontiers pastor at Westminster Family Church for a while, he went to be with the Lord. He, he, he died of dementia, sadly, at the end of last year. But he's commenting on 2 Kings, chapter 13, 20 to 21, where a dead Israelite is raised from the dead when he's put into Elisha's grave. That's why I say it's like comic book stuff. Quote, whenever the world dances on the grave of the church, that's when God usually 
produces a resurrection. What a quote. Whenever the world dances, and the world is dancing on what they think is the grave of the church, that's when God usually produces a resurrection. When I was read that, I think it was just this week, I felt goosebumps on the back of my neck. We are in those similar times. Times of Elijah, Elisha, where substitutes for Baal and Ashtoreth, the, the idols of that time, are worshipped. And many places are closed in the UK. Many are weakened. Many don't believe the, the authority of the word of God. But the Lord is on the throne. And we believe in the God of resurrection who has made all things new. And today we need to pray more and more, and the church needs to pray, Lord, come in your resurrection power and claim me again and give me your vision. The God who makes all things new, do new things in and through our lives for your glory. (coughs) We pray for more power, more revelation, more of your movement in our lives, more in the church. Well, I've just got four main points to focus on at the beginning of Elisha's ministry. But before we get there, I just want to say a few words about Elijah's end. Like Enoch, there's no death. But he's called up to heaven in a whirlwind. And as we become more and more in our lives, that that change is inevitable. We have eternity in our hearts But we're also aware, when you get to my age anyway, we're more aware of our mortality and these temporary earthly bodies with their limitations that are prone to decay. And it means we have a limited shelf life in terms of our contribution this side of eternity. Life goes so quickly. We started, Wendy and myself, being students in this city, I won't say... 42 years ago, (laughs) retiring this year. Where has all the time gone? That's what increasingly I'm asking myself the question. And it may say a strange thing to say to a young church where the average age is much less than, than I am. But it's worth noting now that we all have a unique place to, to, in God's eternal work, But the other side of the coin is prepare to be replaced. (laughs) What a great sermon this is this morning. It's better that you hear it now. Prepare to be replaced. And in this respect, there are two important points. Number one, be accountable with your gifting, your contribution. But hold it lightly for the day you will need to hand over the responsibilities you carry. Whether it be employment, your place in the community or responsibilities in the church. I want to look at things holistically. No one is indispensable. No one is irreplaceable. Graveyards are full of indispensable people. God buries his workers, but his work goes on. Last 15 years, I've had the great opportunity of working with a team of very gifted theologians. And... I've been there when some of them set out. And in one guy in particular, he is, he is so gifted and he's also got 
exceptional leadership abilities. It's like when God gave him abilities, he gave him a double, double, double portion of everybody else and the rest of the team. Uh, in his mid-30s, he's already chair of a European Pentecostal Charismatic Research Forum. And on me leaving the organization, a number of them spoke, and his contribution was this. John, I have not forgotten the day you said to me, graveyards are full of irreplaceable people. In all his current success, and he's having tremendous success, he's a tremendously gifted guy, he was telling me he'd not forgotten and was holding his responsibilities carefully but lightly. Our Western celebrity culture can easily infiltrate the church, and sadly it has, and feeds self-interest rather than the purposes of God. God is the only one who is self-sufficient. And that such reflection should lead us to an attitude of God-dependency rather than self-sufficiency, to self-giving service rather than selfishness or thinking too much of ourselves, to humble service for the king. That the here and now is all wrapped up in the greater eternal perspectives. We are servants of the Lord, and we are here to amplify the Lord's greatness through our lives. All we do is for him, and everything we have is from him. And it leads us to be more accountable in our calling, our motivations. We work carefully, but also we hold lightly the gifts, responsibilities he has given us. So when he calls time, and he will, we're ready for succession. And then acting with the heart of a mother or a father, and there are many young fathers and mothers here, physically and spiritually, we respond and we're not those who become self-grasping, but we're ready to pass the baton on and release others into the service and into the next stage. Well, let's just look a bit more upbeat. Let's look. Four tests that Elijah goes through at the time he replaces Elijah the prophet in 2 Kings chapter 2 that I want to emphasize. Number one, the test of commitment. The test of commitment. There are three exchanges from Elijah to Elisha. Three repetitions, which start as they're journeying from Gilgal. And we'll look at the symbolic meaning of these places that they go to on, I think, point three or point four. Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. Verse two, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Verse four, stay here at Bethel. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Stay here at Jericho. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. Why has Elijah said this? Maybe he wanted, he's an odd bod, isn't he, Elijah? Maybe he wanted privacy. Maybe he wanted to spare Elisha the pain of him leaving. They've been together assistant and prophet for the last 10 years. Certainly he's acting in line with his character. Elijah is a man of solitude. You know, it's an interesting, isn't he, man, Elijah? Fun to be around, but probably very high maintenance, actually. <laughs> nevertheless, nonetheless, however you try and understand what's happening here, it's probably a test for Elijah, Elisha's resolve and commitment to God, as well as showing uh, his love 
for Elijah that he didn't want to lead. And in response, three times, Elisha vows, expresses his wholehearted commitment and loyalty. I will not leave you as the Lord lives. That's important. As the Lord lives first, and as you live, I am coming with you. You know, we live in a culture of fickleness, where commitment is challenged, where obligations are held loosely, and words are cheap. And I think sometimes we dismiss too easily the cultural or the effect of the cultural traits on us and the effect on our relationships, whether they be employment obligations or the church community. Yes, we all go through periods where our initial enthusiasm wanes and cools off. Ask Wendy, I've been there many occasions. Other priorities take over. You can find yourself withdrawing from the situation you previously have been at the heart of. And life and living can take its toll. That's why we need each other. That's why we need an arm round. We need a listening ear. We need wise words. We need to encourage each other along the way. But in terms of important situations, whatever the way the cultural barometer is going, we are to reflect godly ways and steadfastness. And for Elisha, this situation is pivotal to his initial call. It's the realisation of his call, the handover. In this setting, leaving is not an option for him. Elisha has been preparing for this moment for the last 10 years of his life. He started out with such robust commitment. You read it in 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21. He's from a wealthy farming community. When, he, when Elijah's told to go and appoint him as prophet and put his mantle on him, what he does immediately, he slaughters his oxen, he burns his plow and he follows and he goes say goodbye to mom and dad and he follows Elijah. And he is known during that time as the assistant who poured water over the hands of Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 3. The last 10 years he's been a servant. He's been behind the scenes, mundane, plod, plod, plod. And it's that, it's that behind the scenes for us, mundane, plod, 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 of faithful Christian living service that produces a steely determination to carry on. And importantly, at crucial points, what has been formed in us, the habits that help form godly character, spill out in our words and our actions. The discipleship process of faithful commitment, including the faithfulness that no one else sees but the Lord, including wrestling with him, builds patience, endurance, forbearance, self-control, and overall a love for the Lord. As we habitually work on this, we have confidence that at pivotal points in our life, we will do the right thing, the godly honoring thing. Why? Because we are those who are led by the Spirit. And he leads us, and he guides us, and he brings revelation. And we have the Holy Spirit at work within us. So it's imperative that we are listening. So purposeful action. Don't belittle the behind-scenes work of faithful commitment. Work on, continue to work on, our hidden life with the Lord. It is highly esteemed by the Lord who sees everything anyway. And in itself is making us more like Jesus in our character formation. The Christian life is lifelong service to commitment to the Lord. Lord, 
our heart should be this morning, our prayer should be, make us ready to respond in these times where we live. The test of commitment. Number two, the test of loneliness. Interspersed with this conversation with Elijah, we have the school of the prophets at Bethel and Jericho. As prophets do, they always know better. And with Elisha, they twice repeat, verse 3 and verse 5, do you not know the Lord is taking your teacher and friend today? And both times Elisha says, yes, I know, but do not speak of it. Their contribution is potentially destabilizing for Elijah, making face up to what he obviously knows, a growing sense of what it will mean to lose his friend, of being alone, and possibly therefore questioning his identity, his ability to carry on with the work as a prophet without Elijah being around. Test of loneliness. Here we can identify with Elijah. He is human. And we often define ourselves by our successes, don't we? But the most profound moments in our life are often defined by what we lose. And it's here where we find the refiner's fire at work in us. And in such vulnerability in these times, it may mean that folk not knowingly put us down. That we find ourselves out of sync with that which is around us. We find ourselves unrecognized. We find ourselves alone. We feel we have no role. We have no status. John Stott said this, the only status that matters in life is our proximity to the cross. The only status in life that matters is our proximity to the cross. We need to be on our guard, be ready for unwelcome contributions, even from the most unlikely sources. For Elisha, it's not here, it's not from an evil king, it's not from a Baal worshipper, but it's the school of prophets who implicitly are saying, it's over to you. Can you cope? Are you able? Elijah found it hard. And then to add to a loss, just going forward slightly, he sees Elijah go up in a whirlwind eventually. And he says, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. It wasn't missiles in those days and drones. Technological ability was seen through chariots, the number of chariots you had. Chariots stood for military strength. And so he's saying, here the goes up. What has been the strength and the security of Israel? Elijah. Ironically, the same thing was said to him by a king when Elisha is on his deathbed. There will be times as believers where we feel the cold chill of loneliness, of vulnerability. We may be shunned in the workplace, misunderstood. Seasons of painful isolation can come on account of faithfulness to God. Where I wonder sometimes what on earth is going on. And we have to learn to live with such uncertainty and trust God. Remember this, that night is always followed by morning. Especially if you're carrying some responsibilities where you're opening up new pathways prompted by the Spirit. It's probably part of the package of growth that God puts you in. The many times where we walk alone, before others come and join us. Times of loneliness, like the psalmist, we find ourselves before God, leaning on him for support and driven into prayer 
and communing with him. Karl Barth said this, the zeal for God's honour is a dangerous passion. The Christian must bring with them the courage to swim against the tide instead of with it and accept a good deal of loneliness. And he goes on to say you even find that, that those challenges come from within the church. Application. Lord, more of your strength to live with what I'm carrying. You're carrying different things this morning. Widespread it is, even if it means for a time walking the lonely path. Number three, nearly there, the test of ambition. Verse eight, Elijah takes his cloak and hits the water of the Jordan. And miraculously, the water divides and both walk on the other side. Now the, the prophets are at a distance on the other side in the, from them. And there he asks Elisha, what can I do for you? <clears throat> what do you want? And Elisha says, give me a double portion of your spirit. His request echoes what the male Israelite, the firstborn, would receive from the family estate. A double inheritance. The response of Elisha reveals humility and self-awareness. A decade of faithfully serving Elijah has matured into godly wisdom. He's saying this through these words. I know Elijah. I know myself. And if I'm going to fulfill the next stage, I'm going to need double, a double portion of anointing, of gifting, of what was given to Elijah to fulfill God's call on my life. Translated to our time, we need to check for humility and self-awareness by ensuring that Jesus Christ is the central focus of our ambitions. Paul stresses the apostle, at every step consider him. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. We need to fall in love with the Lord more and more in these days as pilgrims. Everything should be done for him. Wanting to know him more. And becoming more like him, conformed to his image. At present, when we are confronted with the gods of self-adulation, of money, the love for money, the love for power, the love for consumerism and uh, sex, we are not to conform to the world's upside-down ambition traits. But for us... It is the power that comes from selfless giving expressed in love based on the example of Christ. To us, it is Christ and Christ alone. It is the way of the servant. Abandoning of oneself to God rather than trying to keep up with that which is relevant and fashionable. Christian maturity is defined by wisdom and discernment, not, speaking, not seeking sorry, the power that the will uses, but choosing intimacy for, with the Lord for our power source. Let Christ motivate us. Let Christ compel us, constrain us as we look to him, follow him, so our ambitions change in his presence. Come, Lord Jesus, should be our prayer. Have your way in me, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Bonhoeffer said this, do not desire to be strong, powerful, and honoured and respected. But let God alone be your strength 
your fame and your honour. Fourthly and lastly, the test of faith in a living God. Just look at the journey stop throughout this passage that Elisha had taken with Elijah. Much of it is symbolic of better days that are gone. And as you compare, as we just go through very quickly and compare with the, now the dire circumstances of the present, but those places they went to had meaning. Gilgal, the first stopping point, verse 2, it was for Israel on entering Canaan. All the males born in the wilderness were circumcised. And it stood for cutting off the old life and rolling away the reproach of Egypt. Right, Elisha here, as he went with Elijah, is reminded of consecration to God. Bethel, the next stopping point, Bethel, means house of God. Jacob, after fleeing his brother, met God, and he says, surely the Lord is in this place. But in recent times, there have been golden calves and appointments of adulterous priesthood, and people led into terrible sin, 1 Kings chapter 12. And Elisha, as he walked there with Elijah, aware of the dishonor done to the Lord. Jericho, Jericho of the past, where the walls fell under Joshua, had recently been rebuilt, though God has said it not to be. Now it was cursed and surrounding land barren and water poisonous. And then the Jordan, the place of God's intervention, where the sea parted as Joshua crossed with the Ark of the Covenant into the Promised Land. Now, all these are contested areas. And as Elisha traveled to these places before Elijah was taken up, there's a sense of ground lost, of God's honor at stake, places full of idols, but nonetheless had been the places of divine appointments. I can't say this, I can't stress this enough this morning. There is a need not only for Elisha to experience as he continues his prophetic ministry and to stand up an evil, the need for a living God to intervene. There's a need for it to happen here in our place. And when Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind, Elisha, what he does in verse 12, he rents his clothes. It's a way of the Jews expressing grief and loss. And at the lowest point emotionally, as he loses Elijah and his spirits are down, everything emotionally is against him. It is here by faith that he calls upon God. In other words, there's a connection between his vulnerability and the release of God's power. It's not a coincidence that we see faith to see God act is simple Desperate trust in God. It has nothing to do with our abilities. The cloak, as well as this line here, I'll hold it. The cloak of Elijah has fallen, as well as the mic. And he picks it up. He picks up the cloak, verse 13. That now has become his mantle, the baton. Symbolically representative of his prophetic office. And with a shout of faith, he throws the cloak on the water, just like Elijah had done, and says, 
Where is the God of Elijah? And miraculously, the waters again divide. Not where is Elijah? Elijah's gone. But where is the God of Elijah? And God performs a miracle just as he did for Elijah. And he's able to walk through the divided water to reach the school of the prophets who now recognize God's anointing as the prophet in Israel is now on him. Brothers and sisters, in a perverse, ungodly generation full of 21st century idols, we need the power and presence of God in the church like never before. I'll say it again. So we become a bright, shining beacon of hope in the darkest places. We need not a domesticated, a predictable God of our own thinking and of our own making, but we need the true and living God who can transform lives and raise the dead. And become, therefore, a church with conviction in the power of the Spirit. Our prayer should be, come, Lord Jesus, let your transforming powerful. Start with me. As I step out in faith, transform my family, my situation, this church with your healing power of salvation. The prophet Habakkuk, chapter 3, says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in my day, in my time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, be glorified in us this morning. Let your fame be known. Christ, crucified, raised, exalted, come and do extraordinary things. For you are an extraordinary, transforming God who delights to bring into being that which is not. And the Lord can do incredible things through the lives of those with humble conviction who dare to trust him. The, Acts, the God of the Acts of the Apostles is our same God. What we are holding in our hands, the God-given skills, the dreams, the prophetic visions, Lord, sacrificially, I offer them to you again this morning and in faith I launch myself into your purposes. We must use more and more what's been given to us from above and God will do the business. It just needs one man, one woman, one child, one teen to step out in faith and all heaven can break loose. On a school, a college, it's happened in history, on a workplace, a neighborhood, a city, a nation, a church community. For the glory and honor of your name, Come, Lord Jesus, this morning. Have your way in our lives. For your glory we ask it. Amen.